can I say, first of all, there's a great joy and a great delight to be sharing with you uh, in worship. And I want to thank Annas for his very kind invitation um, to be here. It's a great pleasure um, to be with you um, today. I'm doing some work uh, in Balagoyne. But before doing that and doing some work with Balagoyne, I'd been helping out for a little while. I'd worked with the, as it was mentioned, with the Presbyterian Church uh, in Church House. I worked with the Board of Mission in Ireland until under the restructuring I was made redundant um, from there. Uh, and in that in-between time, and I've come to Balagoyne, I was doing a little bit of work in Killalea, just for a few months, just to help them, without, out, help them out with some visitation. And while I was doing that, I was always amazed on occasions at some of the the homes that I were to visit, some of the people that I contact with, because inevitably where they were living, and not unlike some of the, the you folk where you're living here in Kalinch and around by White Rock, the, the view from some people's homes is just magnificent. And I often remark to people how blessed they were to this wonderful view as they wakened every morning to, to view down Strangford Lock and maybe to see Port of Ferry and the, on those days when the, the yachts were out at the, at the regatta in Calais, it was just a magnificent scene. And almost without fail, everyone said something the same. They said, you know, we, we live with this every day and we perhaps don't recognize the beauty. We're not overtaken with it the way that we ought to. It becomes so familiar to them that it was just one of those things that you, it was just ordinary. It no longer was extraordinary. And it's not true for all of us, whether it is the, the view from our home, whether it is the, the families that we come and are part of, sometimes that which is extraordinary simply becomes ordinary and we fail to recognize God's beauty and blessing in our lives. It's true too when we come to God's word. There are Bible verses and passages that we are familiar with. And we feel perhaps to recognize their beauty and their worth and their wonder the way that we ought to. And one such passage is the Lord's Prayer. We are all familiar with it. Perhaps we learnt it at Sunday school, maybe at our mother's knee. We repeat it often. We can almost repeat it without thinking. And maybe therein lies the difficulty that that's what happens. And so perhaps this morning we have, with the words of the Lord prayers, Lord's Prayer, failed to recognize its value and its beauty and its worth. I want, as it, as it were this morning, to take a whistle-stop tour through this prayer taught by Jesus to his disciples. For here we discover that prayer, this prayer begins with all, where all true prayer must begin. It begins with those words, Our Father. Reminding us that we have been adopted into God's family. None of us are naturally children of God. The Bible clearly teaches that. By nature, the Bible says in Ephesians that we're children of wrath. We're not naturally born into the family of God. And yet the great myth today that is popular in society, and sadly even among some churchmen, is that everyone is a child of God. Doesn't seem to matter what you believe, if you believe anything at all. Doesn't seem to matter what religion you follow. Doesn't matter how you might live your life or treat others, but according to some people, we're all God's children and it's all going to wonderfully and marvelously work out at the end. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. 
And certainly that's not what the Lord Jesus teaches in this prayer. Our Father. Our opening words this prayer. Our Father reminds us that there is a relationship with God. A relationship with God that is much more than simply acknowledging him as the creator and the sustainer and the giver of life. The Bible does remind us that in him we live and move and have our being. But our Father reminds us that there is a relationship with God that is much more than a simple acknowledgement to say, I believe in God. The Bible teaches in the book of James that the devil believes in God. And his belief in God causes him even to tremble. But nowhere is he described as a child of God. Our Father reminds us that there is a relationship with God. A relationship with God that God in his sovereign grace saves sinners through the work of Jesus on the cross. And through simple childlike faith and resting alone in the Lord Jesus. We're adopted, we're brought into God's family. Paul puts it like this, writing to the Galatians, For you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And John in his gospel puts it like this, Yet to all who received him, received who? The Lord Jesus. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Those of us who were brought up on the shorter catechism, may well remember learning that for Sunday school. We may, on occasions, remember some of what we were taught. We could maybe remember the questions. Maybe we have a difficulty with some of the answers. But it asks the question, what is adoption? And the Shorter Catechism answers it like this. Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. We have all the right and privileges of the sons of God. So as we worship today, no matter how far we might think we are from God, no matter how foolishly we may have acted, no matter how disobedient we may have been, no matter how far we may have wandered, there always will be a warm reception, a loving embrace, a joyful reunion to the one who comes to the place of decision, like the, the sun in the far country, I will arise and go to my Father. This is the marvel of this prayer, isn't it? That while the heavens declare the glory of God, that through faith in Jesus we address this God as Abba, Father, our Father. Have you a relationship with God like that? Do you know this relationship because you, in your simple faith like mine, have trusted Jesus as Savior and as Lord? Adoption, our Father. But adoption then leads to adoration, doesn't it? If we've been adopted into the family of God, our lives can and never should they be the same again. We have been justified. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Hallowed be your name reminds us that justification leads to sanctification, godly living, Christ-likeness, honoring God in all we seek to be and say and do in our attitudes and our desires and our motives. Hallowed be your name.
We hallow the name of God, the name that was revealed to Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am. The commandments clearly teach that we're not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. And yet how frequently and casually and carelessly the Lord's name is taken in vain today as a swear word or as an expletive. Even the world of social media where the abbreviation OMG is used is nothing short of taking the Lord's name in vain. Hallowed be your name. But how do we hallow his name? We take the Lord's name in vain not simply from lips with careless words, but lives that are not always lived in a way that bless and praise him. We have been adopted into the family. We take the family name. We must see to it that the family name is not tarnished because of how we live and behave. In the world of commerce and industry, companies will be very protective of their name, of their branding. They will not want anything to happen that will tarnish it, that will, will call into question their reputation and their trustworthiness. Quite recently, that was a big issue, wasn't it, for the Volkswagen, Volkswagen company. For many years, they had built this strong name and this strong brand that what they said could be trusted. And all of a sudden, the emissions tests were discovered to be falsified. They weren't what they should be. They were not true. And all of a sudden, Volkswagen were on the back foot and they had to rebuild their brand, their reputation, their name had been tarnished. Because what they said was not living up to what they were doing. And what they were doing was not living up to what they were saying. And so they were, they were seeking to rebuild the brand, weren't they? But we have something much more important. Having been adopted in the family, we take the family name. We must see to it that we don't tarnish the family name. Paul, on one occasion, writing to the Romans, said, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Hallowed be your name. It's a calling on each of us day by day to live for Christ in this world. But how can we hallow his name? Your kingdom come, we pray. And so the desire is that having been adopted in the family, we would long to see God's kingdom advanced. When Jesus was teaching this prayer, was he not simply encouraging his disciples and those of us today that having been brought in the family, our desire is that others too might come to know the loving embrace of the Father's welcome, the glorious forgiveness found in trusting Jesus, and the blessed assurance of eternal life. Surely if we're part of this family, we will have a genuine desire to see the gospel advanced, to rejoice when we hear the news of the kingdom of God being furthered and extended and lives being taken from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light. Paul's request on one occasion to the Thessalonians was to pray for us. And this was his prayer. Pray for us that the, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was among you. In other words, pray that the gospel would, would advance, and will, the kingdom will grow, that lives will be touched and changed and transformed by grace. Thy kingdom come, we pray. 
Is that our desire as believers this morning in Jesus? Is that our prayer? Is it our aim? Do we pray this prayer and then put feet to our prayers for when there's opportunity to be involved in evangelism and outreach here within the congregation, the community, that we will be found there wanting to be part of this? Does it excite us to hear the gospel advancing? Do we pray for mission and outreach? Do we read mission magazines and prayer letters? Do we give of our money in in order that mission might happen? Thy kingdom come, we pray. Are we serious about this prayer? And then the prayer goes on, give us this day our daily bread. Is there not a gentle reminder here of our dependence on God? Yet so often we can be guilty of thinking and acting and believing as though we don't need God. We take great pride in our work. We live in a world where there's great pride in the achievement of art and of science and engineering. And the conclusion by some people today is that we don't need God. We have outgrown God. We have outsmarted God. We, we no longer need him in our lives. Our daily bread reminds us of our dependence on, on God. I remember speaking to one of our hospital chaplains. He was telling me an occasion of being requested to make a visit to a man in the hospital. And as they approached the bedside and, and went to sit down, the man said to him, who asked you to visit me? I'm not a believer. And the chaplain said, well, I was asked simply to call in and see you. Do you mind if I spend a few moments with you? No, go ahead, he said. And so they sat down and chatted for a little while. And before he left, the chaplain said, do you mind if I offer prayer? Well, if that's what you want to do, that's fine by me. And so he prayed with the man. And a few days' time, he was back in the ward and discovered the man was still there and so went to speak to him again. And as he sat down, the man turned to him and said, Do you know something? I want to sincerely thank you for your prayers. Had the man come to faith, I don't know. Maybe there was a realization that in the situation that he was in, that it was beyond him and he was dependent upon God. Our daily bread reminds us of day by day our dependence upon God. In him we live and move and have our being as we've said. The scriptures remind us that we brought nothing with us when we came in the world and we can't take anything out of it when we leave it. The Old Testament writer Job tells us the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. How foolish to think that we can do without God. The very breath that we breathe is God's gift to us. Our daily bread reminds us of our dependence upon God. Our daily bread should it not cause us to repent of our pride? Reminding us how foolish we are in our thinking if we think that we can live and plan our lives without God. Just like the rich man in the story that Jesus told. He'd achieved much by what the world considered success. He had money, he had riches. It seemed as though all of life before him was going to be one of ease and of comfort. But in everything that he had planned, he had left God out. And Jesus called him a fool. Our daily bread, our dependence upon God. And then forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Are we not reminded of the need of restoration? This is the Lord's Prayer. Through belief and trust in the Lord Jesus, we have been adopted into God's family. Through trusting in Jesus, we know the blessing of our sin forgiven because of all that Jesus has done for us at the cross of Calvary. Why then, in the middle of this prayer, are we asking for forgiveness? Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. Is it not a reminder that even those of us who have trusted in Jesus, those of us who claim the name Christ and, and call ourselves Christians, that we're still sinners and we still sin? And we will never be sinless this side of heaven. Churches are not perfect people places because they're filled with Christians, sinners saved by grace, not perfect people. If you're looking for the perfect church, you'll not find it. Because all the churches are a group of sinners who've been saved by grace and have still sin in our hearts and lives and are trusting and depending upon Jesus. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The old gospel hymn reminds us, not have I gotten, but what I received Grace hath bestowed it since I believed. Boasting, excluded, pride, I base. I'm only a sinner. Saved by grace. Forgive us our sins. And so believers in the Lord Jesus. There's that need of daily cleansing. Of keeping communion and fellowship with God. As some of the old people used to talk about. Keeping short accounts with God. Someone has said our standing with God never changes if we're Christians. He's adopted us into his family never to cast us out. Our personal enjoyment of being in God's family though may vary. Confessing our sins keeps us in the enjoyment of the highest blessing and communion with God our maker. Restoration. Have you come this morning as a Christian and you're burdened because you feel God this past week? Isn't it a joy here? Forgive us our sins. He will forgive us if we confess our sin. Restoration with God. Yes, but with others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's much more difficult, isn't it? And yet, isn't Jesus reminding us that when we understand how God has forgiven us, we understand that he has not treated us as our sins deserve, difficult as it is, we must forgive those who have wronged us. Those who trespass against us. Trespass is that deliberate act. Even when they've willfully gone out of their way to hurt us and cause us harm. Those of us who have received God's saving grace, Paul reminds us, make alliance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. You must forgive others. Forgive us our sins. That's the easy bit, isn't it? As we forgive those who sin against us. We all struggle with that, don't we? At least I do. How different families would be. How different friendships would be. How different communities would be. How different neighbours would be. And dare I say it, how different churches would be. If only, not only we knew this restoration, but practiced it. Isn't it interesting what Jesus says? 
For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sin. Restoration. With God? Yes. But with others? Yes. Are there conversations that we need to have? Phone calls we need to make? Bridges that we need to repair? Remember, he's not treated us as our sins deserve. And then lead us not into temptation. Here is desire, isn't it? How appropriate. Having prayed for forgiveness, our desire is that we would not place ourselves in the to, to where we would be tempted to sin. The Bible reminds us God himself will never tempt us to sin. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Lead us not into temptation. We often need to pray this prayer to remind ourselves that we don't put ourselves daily where we might fall in disobedience and sin. When Eve sinned, she was in the place of temptation. She was beside the tree. She could look at the tree. She could reach out and touch and feel the fruit. She put herself in the place of temptation. Lead us not into temptation. We had a story of, of how someone was looking for a driver, a chauffeur. Three men applied for the job. And each were given the same task. They were to drive the vehicle around a narrow road which, had a, which was a mountain pass. And on one side there was a steep cliff falling into a deep ravine. And when they come back again, they were each asked the same question. How close to the edge did you drive? First man seeking to impress his future employer told him that he drove in a foot of the edge. The second man, he wanted to boast of his skill. He said he drove within six inches of the edge. Third man said he drove as far from the edge as he possibly could get. One of which one of the drivers you would have felt comfortable staying with. The one who drove as far from the edge as he could get, I think. Lead us not into temptation. So it is, isn't it? This is a wise prayer. It's a prayer reminding us of not putting ourselves in the place of temptation. And yet there is this danger when we understand God's amazing grace. That somehow we push the boundaries of grace and we want to go as near the edge and then we wonder why we stumble and we fall and we sin and we rob ourselves of that joy and that peace and that contentment with God. Paul reminds believers that we should flee from the very appearance of evil. Lead us not into temptation. Is there areas in our lives that we need to give a wide berth and stay away from the edge so we do not fall into sin? You know the areas and the weaknesses in your life. Lead us not into temptation. This is God's wise prayer for us day by day. And the prayer concludes, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And so we bring our prayer to close with this encouragement. We ascribe this amazing God his power and glory. The prayer starts with God, doesn't it? Our Father, Abba Father. We can conclude by reminding ourselves who our Father is. It's his kingdom, it is his power, and it is his glory forever through Jesus we are part of that everlasting kingdom and we'll never be separated from his love.
the Lord's Prayer. Isn't it good to pray it? But to pray it slowly and deliberately, word by word, phrase by phrase, just reminding ourselves that we've been adopted in this amazing family through trusting Jesus. That we take the family name, let us see that we hallow it. Let us long for the advancement of that kingdom. Let us understand day by day our dependence upon God. For restoration when we sin with God and with others. The desire to keep us from temptation. And with the conclusion that our God, his kingdom knows no end. And we're part of that kingdom through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And thank you for this time together today. We pray, Holy Spirit, you will speak into our lives just now and help us to not only be hearers of your word, but doers. May your word be hidden in our hearts that we won't sin against you. For Jesus' sake, amen.